You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Medford, which appears to be between uh, Wausau and Euclid, kind of. Um, I'm trying to find another small town that's close by. Yeah, I don't know any of those places. Um, so yeah, shout out to ESPN Medford, one of my favorite ESPN affiliates. Always happy to know some people uh in the middle of the state and northern part of the state are listening so shout out to you at espn medford joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com frank ben frank how you doing buddy doing well i'm I'm kind of running on fumes uh Ooh, so we're gonna get weird and... we're gonna get weird today yeah yeah it's the, <laughs> it's the you know sort of pod where we say let's keep it short and then uh <laughs> we start feeling frisky about some random topic and go 53 minutes for no good reason um but uh no i i started off with i'm i'm beginning this podcast with uh great designs of keeping it tight and and short um and we'll see how how much i fail at that uh (laughs) over the next little while um while we're here just gonna say uh shout out to all of you for sending in cities um keep them coming in i ran into someone at Summerfest when i was at the uh espn milwaukee booth hanging out and doing some shows and stuff and someone said that they're from cedar grove and we did espn cedar grove and he was like he thought his brother had maybe tweeted me and was like did you tweet eric to get him to say cedar grove and he said no so shout out to the three people listening in cedar grove apparently um shout out to all you guys and shout out to all of you that listen and hang out with us uh in the summer and you know ignore your jobs for those 30 minutes or maybe multitask but i'm not very good at that um so shout out to all of you all right uh some things we want to talk about obviously we did not podcast yesterday frank and i were both busy and it's the summer so there's not really a ton to talk about but um as we think through kind of some of these different things uh we talked a little bit about jabari parker on our monday podcast because it's impossible for us not to talk about jabari parker during a pod even though we try to go in other directions because nothing's really going on with him we still find our way back there and uh, one thing that we didn't really mention because we were talking about the the Lopez signing as well as uh, Jabari Parker and we didn't really connect the dots and talk about it but one thing that I think a lot of people are thinking about now that Lopez is on the squad is that you know what happens to the center rotation and we talked about a John Henson trade but we didn't talk about what maybe is one of the more I think maybe one of the more realistic options on a Henson trade Frank. Yeah and I know we talked about it before we went on the air yesterday and we've talked about on Twitter with various people, but, um, and I I don't expect this to be, uh, exactly something that people necessarily will be excited about. Um, but, you know, kind of tying together sort of the general idea of, um, Jabari's Parker, Jabari Parker's market, obviously not being particularly strong right now. And, 
Um, not, I mean, it's not really clear at what price, you know, he would unlock the kind of interest that might actually draw a team to, to not only want to take him for that value, but potentially also give up something, um, for the privilege of giving him a contract at a, at a certain price. Um, we don't know exactly where that is, but you know, if there was that type of, of number out there that Jabari was willing to take for multiple years, um, and that, you know, again, another team has felt like they were getting good value. The one obvious thing that might happen there is, well, what could the Bucks get in that deal? And, you know, again, like the idea that the Bucks are going to get like some, you know, landslide of, of riches and first round picks. I mean, that, you know, I think we need to be realistic that if, if there was that sort of interest, then probably one of these teams with cap space would have already been all over offering them a big contract. And, and obviously that hasn't happened yet. Um, but the more realistic potential thing may be, um, and, and certainly the Lopez deal, I think, focuses this more on, on Jen Henson. But, you know, the idea of, you know, is Jabari Parker, a new Jabari Parker sign and trade, is that a means of basically instead of getting a real asset back, you essentially use Jabari Parker to to dump a salary along with him. And we've talked about how, um, you know, uh, base year compensation because of um, the amount of money Jabari would likely get. I think if he's if he makes more than like eight million dollars this year, then he'd be subject to base year compensation, which basically means that he'll count for less going out than he does. Uh, sorry, he'll count for less from the Bucks' perspective than he does um, from the team that acquires him, which kind of makes it harder to complete a trade just for uh, salary matching purposes. And so um, in general, it's easier if you include more salary to kind of, you know, sort of deaden the effect of, of that, uh, that baser compensation thing. So, you know, one obvious thing you could do is you could throw in John Henson's $11 million salary along with that. And then, you know, are you trading if you're trading Jabari Parker to a team that maybe has a contract that is um, a bit larger, that is maybe you know a productive player, but a guy who's overpaid? And you know there are a bunch of guys out there who, who you know could um, who could fill that you know category, fill that type of, of role where a guy who you know again could be somebody who is a good enough player to possibly even start or, or play real minutes for the Bucks, um, but is maybe paid more than, you know, would be considered a, a real asset value for him. And that range um, we're talking but, about, that would be like 15 to 18 million probably. Cause you got to take half of what yeah. Jabari would make. Jabari probably yeah, makes exactly. eight to 12. So probably plus four to six to Henson's 10 ish, 11. So I probably 14 to 17, somewhere in that range is what you'd be looking at for uh, a contract on a per year basis. Right. Yeah. That's the kind of range. I mean, when I've been sort of thinking about players, it's been a lot of guys like that. And, and just to kind of throw some, some names out here. And again, I, I don't know if these teams would really, you know, be very interested. Um, but you know, like the Knicks, Tim Hardaway Jr., not a good contract. You know, he's being paid, um, 17 to $19 million over the next three years. I mean, that's not a good contract. Um, but again, is there, uh, a way that you could use Jabari Parker to dump other bad salary the Bucks have and, and at duplicate positions and you know would you consider along with maybe second round picks or something else would you be willing to take on Tim Hardaway Jr. make him your starting shooting guard and then you know ship out John Henson and, and maybe something else or, or whatever right I don't know I mean th- th- this is kind of you know if, if trades kind of make you like uneasy and you're not really sure then that that probably tells you it's it's probably in the ballpark in the ballpark <laughs> because if it's if it's too good of a deal then it's probably not going to be one that the other team's going to want to do. Yep. Um, but again, I, you know who knows, right? I mean, uh, Hardaway is obviously interesting because Budenholzer had him for a couple years in in Atlanta, obviously, um, and I think Hardaway has spoken very well of Budenholzer. I don't I don't know exactly you know if, if Budenholzer would bend over backwards to get him, um, but. Uh, but like Tim Hardaway, uh, Evan Fournier in in Orlando, also a guy making I think something on the order of 
16, 17 million dollars a year. Again, good player. He could be your starting shooting guard. Um, you know, he also would be kind of Chris Middleton insurance if if Middleton were to actually leave a year from now. Hardaway kind of would also be in that camp. Um, you know, those two guys are, are kind of uh, certainly guys like that. Uh, Kent Bazemore, you know, another guy. Granted, Atlanta, you know, has cap space, so they could sign Jabari without actually doing a deal like that. But um, again, if there's some interest on their side to reduce longer term salary by shipping out Bazemore, um, who's making, you know, I think something on the order of 17, 18, 19 million over the next few years, that's too much money, right? Kent Bazemore is yeah. not worth that. Um, but he is a productive player. He bounced back a bit last year. Obviously, Budenholzer knows him. Um, you know, again, with the Bucks consider that if they can use Jabari to offload other salaries or, or maybe get some additional assets back in place. Because that's the thing, I mean, you know, you could argue, well, you know, if the alternative is just like letting Jabari walk and just having John Henson rather than Kent Bazemore and his bigger salary, like, you know, is it actually better to have Kent Bazemore and his bigger salary versus just John Henson? You could argue like, no, like I don't even want, you know, you don't even want Kent Bazemore because he makes so much money or whatever. But Again, I mean, these are the kinds of things that, um, again, depend a lot on how much do you like some of these specific players. And, and again, like these are not star players. They're not guys that people are going to be super excited about. But at some point, you know, there maybe is some overlap where um, you're shipping out enough salary that you don't want, players you don't need, um, along with Jabari, and you're getting back, you know, again, a productive but overpaid player. And then maybe you get something on top of that, right? I mean, is there maybe some version of this where you do get a protected pick? I don't know, right? I mean, I know Atlanta has a bunch of picks, but are they really interested in 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 doing a deal like that when you know they could just try to sign Jabari Parker without having to give up um, any assets? So, so yeah, I mean, these are just some of the some of the kind of I guess versions of of deals that you know. Again, like I'm 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 not going to sit here and say these are home runs or these are going to you know save the Bucks or propel them into contention. Um, but for a team that is capped out, as we've said multiple times, a team that you know, is not going to have a bunch of money to go spend if Jabari Parker were to walk. Um, you know, these are some ways that you again you could add productive players again, probably on salaries that are beyond where you'd want them to be. Um, but you could add some value, and um, again, or or maybe you just take back uh, a player who isn't useful, but just sort of an expiring salary, and you know, you maintain some flexibility, but you don't get a productive player. You just get you know a less bad salary. And again, these are all kinds of different permutations of of what may be possible and again it just sort of speaks to the idea that you know we probably can't assume that Jabari Parker has that much value as a trade asset um, at this point especially given that you know there are some teams out there that could sign him straight away if, if they really wanted to yeah I was thinking about the like entirety of the Miami Heat roster because <laughs> um, like, they, they just have, uh, and again, I don't know if you'd have to like Tyler Johnson's a bad one. Goran Dragic has two years left on his deal. Um, it, I, there's some guys there that you know you just look at contracts and you try to figure out. Well, is that are, are any of those so bad that they want to get off of? And then you know you can do something with Henson and make the money work that way. So I, I don't know. Like I, I just think there there's a number of interesting things that that could be explored. And I think as this goes on and everything moves forward, well, I think more of those things are are going to have to be explored because I think everyone knows that at the very end of this road and this road could take two months. 
But at the very end of this road is a qualifying offer for Jabari Parker and him coming back to the Bucks, and probably a bad situation for everyone with Jabari Parker upset that the Bucks didn't value him more than than the qualifying offer that he doesn't have any more guaranteed money and then the bucks having a disgruntled jabari parker um and you know all of those things that you saw in games one and games two of uh of the playoff series like well maybe all those things come back around and mike boonholzer doesn't have any connection to jabari parker so if he's got a guy on a qualifying offer deal well Maybe he just doesn't play him. <laughs> that that could very well happen. So I think for all parties, that qualifying offer is not good, um, and not just in that the Bucks, and it's not just bad for the Bucks in that they would lose Jabari Parker. It's bad for the Bucks in the fact that you know, like this season might not go well. Like it, this this year, he could be a problem um, before even thinking about losing him for nothing next year. So I do think you do have to think about how you're going to get creative and how you're going to do something and try to attempt to find some value uh, out of all of this. Or, you know, maybe there is a deal for Jariah Parker that ends up working out for both sides and he just comes back to the Bucks. But I, I don't know. That's something that at this moment doesn't feel like it's a uh, like it's an overwhelming possibility. Like the idea that they're going to find some money with him making somewhere in the teens per year. Like that just doesn't seem really all that, all that realistic to me. So we'll have to see kind of what happens there. Um, anything and, I, and a couple, yeah, I was, I was gonna say like, I think Miami certainly interesting, as you mentioned, you know, Johnson's interesting. I mean, he's owed 38 million in the next two years, right? I mean, he's yeah. a good player, but obviously that's, that's too much money. Um, I mean, I would, I would love to have Tyler Johnson just in a general non-salary impacted vacuum, but, um, you know, yeah, if you were to take on Tyler Johnson in the next two years, you know, you'd, you'd be well trying to figure out how you dump, not just, uh, Henson, but probably Della Vadova as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so in a different kind of permutations or, or even, you know, James Johnson, right. I mean, you know, James Johnson as just a, a role playing multi-positional defender who, if if nothing else could be valuable to trade for just so the Heat couldn't have him defend Giannis four times a season. Um, you know, just kind of guys like that. Like, I mean, Jay Johnson is overpaid, right? But again, like, do you have your own overpaid guys that, that you'd be um, able to, to shed as a deal like that? I think some other ones that, you know, kind of come to mind, um, you know, Utah, we've obviously talked about. There's obviously kind of the Jabari Parker, you know, Mormon superstar thing that, yeah. that has always been floating around there. Um Utah is interesting. I mean, if, if they hadn't already signed favors, I think you, you might be able to construct some more interesting possibilities and potentially even like a double sign and trade with, with favors coming back. Obviously, favors is now going to sign there. So I think Jabari has less of a role both on the team kind of playing and obviously just in terms of what they might do. But, um, you know, Alec Burks is making $11 million as an expiring salary. Um, I mean, he's a solid player. I mean, he's been hurt a lot, but um, he's a guy that can go out and get you buckets. Um and again, they've also have Jay Crowder, who you know positionally there's a lot of overlap with Jabari. So there's I think some interesting possibilities there. You know, like is there some combination um, where you can move make a move there? And, and keep in mind, I mean, the last two Bucks assistant GMs um, are currently in um, aside from Milton Newton, the current assistant GM. The previous two assistant GMs uh, work for the uh, uh, Utah Jazz, and yep. so you know interesting that that they obviously know plenty about jabari they understand the situation um and and who knows maybe they would have some interest or, or maybe they wouldn't because they, they know jabari too well i don't know um 
but uh, but Utah certainly has some interesting pieces that you could piece together because they have a bunch of like smaller salaries. I mean, they also have Epe Udo making you know one year left and, and not a big salary as well. So they have a bunch of different kind of pieces you could um, potentially use to try to aggregate together a deal. Um, and really, like those deals are are not bad at all. So I mean, you wouldn't even necessarily. I don't think you'd be able to get like a pick with those guys just because they're actually like pretty productive Useful players. players. Yeah. Um, yeah, but. Again, those are just sort of the kind of things that, you know, if you were if you were John Horst and you were trying to be realistic about, all right, if Jabari Parker is, you know, if it's end of Jabari Parker's time in Milwaukee for whatever reasons and, and what are your trade options, you know, those are maybe some of the some of the types of some of the types of deals that might be out there. Um, you know, I I get you know, the Clippers, Danilo Gallinari, I mean he doesn't have a good contract either. Um, he's obviously been injured, but he also, you know, could fill in as a, a combo forward type guy. Um, and potentially with him, um, he's the kind. If you know, if you're taking on Gallinari, for instance, maybe there, you, you know, who knows? Maybe there is an asset you can get, um, given like all the guards they have on their roster as well. Maybe you can pull something there. So, anyway, those are the kinds of things that I've sort of been in my <laughs> mind, kind of trying to think about um, because I'm I'm kind of over. The idea of getting like some some great boatload of picks or something like that for Jabari if you were in a sign and trade. Um, so, I, but we'll see. I mean, again, like the the hard part here is that it requires you know not just one party, not just two parties to agree. It requires you know two teams to agree and Jabari Parker to agree on evaluation. And um, it, <laughs> this is why it, it's really hard to do. Yeah, it's a lot. There, there's no doubt about that. All right, um, I'm trying to think what else we want to talk about that wasn't summer league. Was it? Oh, Dante Divincenzo signed his contract today. Um, I know some people are wondering about that. Uh, Matt Velasquez from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel tweeted out that uh, it would be the full 120 percent, and I had a couple people tweet at me like, "Oh wow, they must have really liked him or whatever." And it's like, no. That's what rookies pretty much do. Like rookies sign for 120 percent of the scale, and that's pretty much they all do. That, that, yeah. That's they what that's what's expected. Like this isn't anything that meant the Bucks reached for Divincenzo or anything special. Like that's just how it is. Um, then that'll that'll be that. It'll be 5.3 million guaranteed over his first two seasons, uh, and. That's that. So Dante DiVincenzo is signed. Um, I've also had some conspiracy theorists say, well, that's the reason why he wasn't playing. It wasn't his groin. And maybe that was the case. We've seen the Bucks hold out guys before uh, because of not having a contract signed. Or also he has a groin injury, um, which could also be the case. It's not something that we'll ever know. And I would argue that it's not something that is ever in any way important. So uh, we'll keep it moving from there and talk a little bit about the Bucks Summer League and what's going on with them and kind of everything that we've seen thus far. And uh, to me, it I'm I'm not going to look up any of the scores. I'm not going to look up any of the box scores. I'm not going to talk to you about if they won or lost because none of that matters. I am going to talk to you, though, about kind of how some of the people are playing. And, I mean, I think much of much of what we said in our Summer League preview on that Friday, bef- last Friday before all of the Summer League games got underway, I think it all pretty much held up. Um, when when you go through player by player, I think we're seeing many of the things that we talked about, and I guess we'll start with the positive. And I think throughout much of this process, Sterling Brown has looked good to me. 
Um, There was a little bit of concern from some people about, is he carrying a little bit extra weight? Is he fat? Is he out of shape? Like all of those things. And I I do think he has put on some extra weight on his upper body. Um, I don't know if it is overweight, out of shape, anything like that. But, I mean, I thought he's played pretty well throughout all of this. You've seen some of uh, that trademark Sterling Brown defense. I remember specifically one possession against the Mavericks team um, where he had Jalen Brunson. And, again, Jalen Brunson's just rookie, but he was bringing the ball up the floor and then trying to break him down off the dribble, and he turned him like four or five times inside a half court possession like he crossed half court and then sterling turned him four or five times and it's like yeah that is that is what sterling brown can do defensively and then uh, in this last summer league game you saw him really get hot from deep <laughs> there was a couple step backs there was a couple threes off the dribble and i said on twitter i think that's the first sterling brown heat check i've ever seen but there was one on the on the right wing where it came after four or five dribbles where he just got all the way back to the line and decided, okay, it's, it's time to hit this. And he did. And I just think you're, uh, I don't know if I was concerned about Sterling Brown. I, actually, I know I wasn't. I, I didn't really have any concerns about him, but if you were the type that was worried that he didn't show enough in his rookie season, I, I think he's probably done enough to, to show you that he can handle it. it is he ever going to be uh, a point guard? Like Fran Fischilla said, no, <laughs> no, no, he's not. Um, is he ever going to be a primary on ball creator? No, probably not. But can he attack closeouts? Can he make a play off of those, uh, you know, mismatch situations where either uh, defense is recovering to him or uh, you've moved the ball around the perimeter a little bit and got him into those situations? Yeah, I think so. And I also think a big credit to Taylor Jenkins, who's coaching the Bucks here in Summer League, that. In those first two games, I think you saw him kind of struggle when it was just like, all right, Sterling, we're going to put you in a pick and roll, try to create, see what you can do. And it wasn't really working. The, there was a lot of times where I thought he struggled with it and then just kind of ended up settling for a setback jumper. I thought in this third game, they didn't have him bring the ball up the floor. They didn't have him try to create just out of a base where it's all right pick and roll for sterling it was a little bit of off ball movement get him going on the catch or get the defense just trailing a little bit and put him they put him in spots to succeed for the most part and uh, i thought sterling brown has looked good thus far how about you yeah i agree um you know i i think again like so much of Sterling's success is going to be predicated on three and D, right? If yep. he can hit threes consistently and defend at a high level and, you know, cut down on his fouling, which he had problems with at, at various points as a rookie, um, you know, that that's going to be probably the, the you know, the leading indicator of, of whether or not he becomes a solid pro or not. I think the question of whether he becomes a, you know, more than that will come down to, um, you know, his ability to also be able to create a bit more off the dribble. Um, attack off closeouts I think you know like a lot of rookies and we've seen it also in summer league like he's a guy who um, you know when in doubt sort of often kind of settled for um, long twos you know probably because that is something he's more used to shooting just you know not a 24 foot shot but like a 19 20 foot shot Um, he really struggled at the rim last year um, which again maybe isn't shocking given he's not like kind of a traditional really like vertically explosive type guy um, but I think that's an area where, you know, if you want him to really be effective, um, he's going to have to be more efficient that way. And I thought one of the things that we really saw in the last game was 
um, you know, just some finishes where he showed terrific body control, used that strength and that <laughs> that thickness um, to uh, to carve out paths of the basket <laughs> and make adjustments midair and you know be be coordinated enough to finish through traffic and and around guys and over guys. And again, he's not necessarily ever going to jump over guys. Um, you know, I, again, like I always say, going to hesitate with like body types. Like you know, again, some guys are going to be able to get you know explosive more easily some guys are gonna you know be able to carry weight better than others i think sterling probably carries weight pretty well he seems to move pretty well in spite of you know having you know whatever a 230 pound frame which is is a pretty big frame for for a guy who's six seven six six so um so we'll see um you know again could he be um a bit more in shape maybe you know certainly you wouldn't look at him and say like oh he's in the best shape of his life um but I don't know, right? I mean, just some guys, just it's it's kind of tough with with players to kind of all hold them to the same standard. So so we'll see. There may be some some further opportunity there. Maybe get more athletic, more explosive if uh, if he can get into better shape over over the next year or two. So um, so yeah, I think Sterling's only been looked pretty good. And um, again, I think a lot has to happen in summer league for me to change my opinion of a player. <laughs> and I had a pretty good impression of and and a lot of optimism about you know Sterling becoming a good pro. And I don't think we've seen anything here to suggest that, that that's not the case. And again, I think a lot of it just is, you know, being able to, to step up and, um, you know, he's not going to be a number one option ever, but uh, but being able to be a guy who can play off, you know, the likes of Giannis and Chris Middleton and be effective in those lineups and, and do um, the obvious sort of, you know, three and, and defend it at, at high level. And then also, you know, little things offensively as well, make the right pass, um, maybe be a bit of better finisher and, and make some better decisions. So, um, so yeah, I think generally, say a positive, uh, positive summer league so far from from Sterling Sterling Brown, who um, obviously you know the drafting of Dante DiVincenzo is obviously a guy that you know maybe you'd say well you know he's got to fight for that roster not for a roster spot but fight for a rotation spot maybe even more than he had to last year. Um, but again, I, knowing Sterling, I don't think he's uh, probably going to shy away from that challenge. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine that he is not not really going to be afraid of that. So it'll be it'll be kind of fun to continue to watch him grow. But uh, I don't think any concerns about you know any struggles or anything like that. I think he'll he'll kind of he'll kind of get a chance this year, and we'll see because those wings are are pretty full. I, I know I mentioned that during the summer league game when someone asked me if Sterling's going to get a bunch of run, and it's like well how much run is there really to go around? Uh, you look at Chris Middleton, he's going to probably play 35 minutes a night. You look at Tony Snell, um, he played 25 minutes a night last year. And then if you add in the idea that Box University is going to do something for him, well, then does that get bumped up a little bit? Um, so then you probably only have, I don't know, 25, 30, 35 minutes to go around on those wing spots. And I haven't mentioned Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I haven't mentioned Dante DiVincenzo. Like there's there's going to be really, I think, really good competition for that spot on the roster. So we'll see how, how Sterling can attempt to insert himself into that and, and if he comes out in the end. Uh, let's move to, I think, another slightly positive. Christian Wood um, had a really really strong game in the first game uh blah game in the second and i would say a better game in the third and uh, i think we've seen from christian wood a bunch of the things that we talked about before the summer league got started because 
this is a guy that we talked about. <laughs> we talked about how in the 2015 draft, we did a eight hour mock draft for brew hoop. And, uh, <laughs> both of us kind of mentioned how we were intrigued by him during that. And I mean, many of the things still kind of stay the same. His motor runs hot and cold. Um, he is still probably lacking ideal strength. I think he gets frustrated pretty easily, and uh, we didn't see much of that in game one, but in game two, I thought he was just kind of taken out of the game by physical play. He got into his head, and then he stopped attacking, and he was getting frustrated that he wasn't getting calls, and I just thought it kind of took him out of the game. And then in game three, we saw some of that early, and then there was that one play where he drove baseline and put his shoulder into the guy and then dunked on him, and it was like, okay, that's how you, you got to react to physical play. So um, I think generally uh i think generally exciting and uh, i don't know if i've changed all that much from the first time we talked about it, but i mean he's probably someone i'd be interested in having on a two two-way contract like i think that's that's a player with enough talent that y- you should be willing to bet on it and i think i would be looking to try to get him on a two-way but at the same time he would have to think that that's a good approach for him as well that he wouldn't think that he could get an NBA contract somewhere else that, you know, he couldn't get paid somewhere else. So um, I think it's going to be, I don't know where it goes. I really don't because I don't know if the Bucks want to move on from either their, their current two-way players, if they want him in that role, if he wants to be in that role, a uh, lot of kind of wait and see stuff with him. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to, to watch him play because we, you know, we mentioned like his, his physical dimensions are very similar to both Giannis and DJ Wilson, <laughs> two, two players who are on kind of complete ends of the spectrum in terms of their ability to actually effectively use their frames. And I think so Wood is interesting to watch because um, he, you know, in watching him in games where, that DJ Wilson is playing, you know, you kind of see in stark relief um, how well Wood will often use his body. And as you mentioned, you know, He's a guy like like Giannis is kind of a great example, right? When Giannis, especially this past year, but really starting really in his third season, he kind of got to the point where you know Giannis isn't. It's not like he's like super quick, explosive off his first step necessarily. He's got those long strides, and then he's gotten really good at when he gets even with you with his shoulders. He can put his shoulder into you, and he's going to be going to the basket, and you're going to be going <laughs> not away from the basket, right? And yeah. You know, we don't we don't think of bat as uh, we think of basketball as like a leverage game in terms of like rebounding and things like that. But I, I think like when you watch, especially when you watch some of these guys like Wood and and DJ Wilson, it really makes you appreciate the art of being able to you know put your shoulder into a guy and be strong enough to you know go to the basket while doing that and and not be pushed off. Because DJ Wilson's sort of the, the complete opposite. He's a guy who um, once he once you kind of bang shoulders with him he's going away from the basket. He's, he's fading. He's not, he's no longer going to be able to keep going to the basket. He's going to be at a disadvantage. And, and then he settles for much more difficult shots. Whereas, um, you know, Wood is clearly no Giannis, but, um, he has a much better ability, I think to, you know, use some, some pretty solid ball handling to kind of make some, you know, basic attacking moves when he's faced up against the basket. And, you know, when he gets to, um, the restricted area, he's able to use that, that kind of wiry frame and, um, again, I think he's he's certainly become I think strong enough to to be a pretty effective finisher against a lot of a lot of defenders. Certainly, at least you know summer league defenders and obviously G League defenders. He's been very good the last couple of years. So um, so I think Wood Wood is definitely an interesting player. Um, and again, for a guy who you know as you said, like it's a little tough because like defensively, like he, he's obviously not always in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then you know when he gets matched up with guys and people challenge him it's like he blocks shots i mean it's just yeah. like you see him it's like yeah that's a freaking tough dude to shoot on right and <laughs> again you compare him to dj wilson who, who really defensively plays small right i mean he can move his feet but he never seems to really be able to effectively challenge shots around the rim whereas wood is a guy who um certainly has has looked much more capable of doing that right i mean um, again, is he a traditional like rim protector? No, right. I mean, he's obviously not like a, a traditional big man in terms of size, but um, you know, he's mobile enough and his shot blocking is is good enough. And I think he's also active enough from a rebounding perspective. I mean, especially in that first game, we saw him grabbing a lot of rebounds and getting up quick for dunks and and being just effective by by being active around the basket. So, um, so I think Wood's definitely an interesting guy. I think. But certainly the area where he struggled is is you know his perimeter shot that's an area where he got better last year shooting 32 percent from three um but clearly he you know we haven't seen we haven't seen much of that in vegas he has not looked very comfortable shooting from the perimeter um being much of a threat out there and you know since since i don't want to just spend this entire podcast kicking sand on dj wilson um we do have to say wilson has certainly looked at times you know like the guy who, who we've assumed would be pretty comfortable shooting from from the perimeter um which is good because he obviously tends to take most of his shots out there and and so you know that's probably been the the comparison that has certainly favored dj more and that he's you know for the large part looked comfortable working from a perimeter catch and shoot guy um i don't think he's certainly a guy that you expect to be very effective just shooting off the dribble um but as a spot up guy pick and pop guy um which is again probably his primary role offensively if he finds one in the nba um he's looked pretty comfortable there so Again, interesting to kind of see these two guys starting next to one another because, um, again, they they definitely, even though they are physical, the frames are, are actually, you know, the measurables are very similar. The the styles and the impact is, is very different on both ends of the court. Yeah, I was actually going to go from best to worst in Summer League, so I was not ready to skip DJ Wilson. We were going to talk a little bit about him here, but uh, I think he... He continues to do stuff. He can. He continues to do stuff where I'm just like, it's not. That's not you, my guy. Um, that, that's not how it's gonna work. And I think he he's sort of interested in me because the one thing that he does, DJ Wilson, that it just infuriates me is catch at the three point line and put it on the deck. Like that that has to be all the way out of his repertoire. Like he should not be allowed to do that until the second half of a game. Because I, I just think he has to be catch and shoot. And I, as you mentioned, I think the moments where he looks best is when he's hitting catch and shoot threes. And to me, that's the thing that I would just be hammering home to him that you got to keep shooting those. Like you, you need that three point attempt rate to be like nine ish per 36. Like you have to get to that spot where you're just shooting threes because I don't think him off the dribble really does a lot. Uh, no. And we've talked about, you talked about this on Friday and we've talked about this in the past, but there's a, a certain sect of Bucks fans that is still very, um, optimistic about dj wilson and then will always tell me when i complain about just that thing i was talking about they always say well look at how well he can handle the ball like he can for a guy his size he can really handle it he's got a pretty tight handle and like i don't i don't disagree with that i do think he has a pretty tight handle but a tight handle doesn't do you anything if it doesn't get you anywhere and yeah. to to have a tight handle that allows you to take two dribbles and then not beat anyone to the basket and then turn into a step back jumper from 18 to 20 feet those are terrible shots 
That's bad basketball. That's not something that is good, even if you are showing off a skill in ball handling and an ability to get to a step-back jumper that might be good. Those are just bad shots. And uh, to me, that's been the most worrisome thing is that those drives still don't go anywhere. Like Those drives have to, to me, they have to turn into shots from five feet from 10 feet like he's not even getting to that spot it'll just be two dribbles and then it's immediately a step back and i just think if you're thinking about how dj wilson gets way better it's either those drives turn into actually getting into the rim or those drives don't happen and he shoots threes all the time and i just think that's how the modern game is played and he has to find a way to do those things and we haven't really seen that and i think the other thing that continues to be worrisome for me is just watching a game and if there's a rebound that's going up and you ask me to pick between the two roster guys to go up and get it i'm taking sterling brown 10 out of 10 times and i I don't even think it's close like sterling brown or dj wilson who do i want to grab this rebound Sterling Brown. I have more confidence in Sterling Brown being physical, going up and grabbing it, securing it with two hands, being strong, and being able to get it over DJ Wilson, and that's not good. (laughs) We talked about his his struggles rebounding on draft night. Again, I reference it all the time. I asked Jason Kidd the night he was drafted, and he made a joke about it, (laughs) that this dude can't rebound, so he'll fit in with this roster. And I just think it continues to be a huge concern of mine that there's just so many times where you see a rebound bounce out of DJ Wilson's hands and go out of bounds. You see it get fumbled around, and the other team gets it. You see it fumbled around, and maybe even one of his teammates gets it. But I just don't know how you can play at 6'10", and play at either the four or a small ball five and not be able to rebound the basketball. Yeah, and again, I think, you know, Thon Maker obviously has similar issues, but yep. Thon, Thon can do things as a center in terms of, you know, protect the rim and switch and block shots that DJ just, just hasn't shown, right? And, and yep. Thon, Thon can play up to his size at times. He doesn't do it as a rebounder, but um, DJ really does play. He just plays small, and... Um, and we see that on both ends. That's that's obviously, a, you know, probably the biggest challenge with with seeing him kind of really grow into a major NBA role, and and kind of why you know I again I think he's definitely shown some some positive signs. Um, you know, I think he's been better this year than he was last year in Vegas, which obviously you'd hope. Um, and I think you know the, the the my the best thing I think we saw in Game Three from DJ Wilson was DJ Wilson actually was getting. The, the ball around the basket and, and finding ways to finish and again in different ways right I think he had like one put back he had one where he caught it on a roll and you know kind of wheeled around the, the basket and, and finished up and under and you know those are the kinds of things that again it's just like refreshing because it's like you know I mean again I don't expect him to put it on the deck and just drive for dunks all the time but he clearly doesn't have the ability to really attack closeouts very effectively which yep. should be you know that that should be something that a guy with his handle at his size and who you know should be a credible threat from three. He should be able to you know use that to create some angles, driving angles, uh, attacking closeouts. But he just hasn't really shown that. So anything to show that he's able to you know have the feel for the spacing and, and being able to get in positions to, to finish around the basket, even if he's not creating the shot himself, is an encouraging thing. Just because again, it's like you know you're six eleven, like you got to figure out ways to get some easy buckets beyond you know spot up threes and 
you know, off the dribble, step back, fade away twos because you, you couldn't get a better shot. And, and I think that's the thing, right? I mean, I think a lot of times with really good, effective NBA players, um, it's not they're able to get to the rim and score every time, but they know how to get to their spots. Yep. And with DJ, it's just I, I just feel like he just doesn't really have any spots that he can get to other if he's if he's putting it on the deck, right? Yep. He just doesn't have any doesn't have like you know any any kind of reliable moves or or you know shots from decent positions that he can hit reliably. So so yeah, it, it's difficult. I mean, again, I you know I think he's been fine. You know, he's shown flashes, hit some shots. Um, you know, and and all that's positive. I think, you know, defensively, it's kind of one of these things. I mean, I mean, we've watched Jabari Parker for the last four years. I mean, we know what what terrible defense looks like at the forward position. I mean, mm-hmm. DJ is certainly far more conscientious, far more. Yep. You know, his his feet are are way better. His instincts are, are not horrible or anything like that. Um, you know, there's something to work with there. Um, but you know, it's it's really you know just the kind of competitiveness, the physicality that that he's lacking on that side, but. Certainly, just from like a you know having decent feet and and quickness, he's got that, um, which yeah. is definitely you know a start. Um, so so that's a positive. I mean, he's not like a guy that you put on the floor and say like, oh, this guy's you know never going to be able to defend with this guy on the court, right? Um, he's obviously not going to help you on the rebounding department, but um, but again, he has at least the the tools defensively to you know keep teams honest. I would say. Um, so you know, again, we'll see. Hopefully he can continue to kind of maybe show a little bit more than what we've seen. Um, even if, again, kind of like Sterling, I mean, DJ's value is going to be can he hit open threes and, and can he defend it reasonably well. Um, but again, summer league is obviously the opportunity to show that you know you have a broader skill set than that. You can work on doing some other things. And you know, again, the you know, again, we kind of I think a lot of times distill players down to like a handful of skills and just assume that if you can do those things reasonably well then you know everything works well um but we kind of ignore like all the connective tissue that you know it's not just about you know having a b and c that it all adds up to to being a great player like there's so much in between the lines um that that you know and, and scoring in different ways and and having the feel to know where you need to be on the court to put yourself in good positions i mean all that stuff is is more subtle and and kind of sometimes i think is a bit underappreciated you know um, you know, we get so obsessed with finding guys who are super athletic and can shoot three pointers. Um, but again, like, you know, there are a lot of guys who are good dunkers who can shoot three pointers who aren't really very good <laughs> basketball players because yeah. they can't do anything else with the ball or, you know, can't, can't be in those positions. I mean, Gerald Green was really nice for the Rockets last year, but, you know, it's, it's kind of <laughs> funny a guy. I mean, we've seen it, right? I mean, this yeah. guy is hyper athletic and, can shoot from different angles and it's just you know if you saw him in an open gym you'd say like jesus this guy could be a star right yeah <laughs> and they, we thought that when 2005 coming into the draft um but you know the game's a lot more than just jump shooting and and being able to dunk uh, when nobody's around so um anyway i digress all right that's it frank i'm gonna try to get you out of here i think we did about 40 minutes Good. hopefully that was about right um we will talk to you all again probably tomorrow i don't even know when the bucks play i need to figure that out i didn't see when their next game was um but we'll talk to you again sometime soon uh maybe tomorrow maybe the next day we'll see for frank ben i'm eric name this has been lockdown bucks we'll talk to you then